this. She said, it looks like rain. And I pulled out my Bible app, my weather app, and I said, no, it says here, no rain, 0% chance this hour, next hour, and every other hour. And so you know what happened. As we drove down the road about another five minutes, it started to rain on us. How would you like to have a job where you could be right 50% of the time? I have a friend who's a nuclear engineer, was a VP over at the, the nuclear plant. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to be wrong half the time and right half the time and keep your job? How about that in space, uh, Waldy? How's that going to work? Preachers, we could be right half of the time. I have in your notes there, uh, it's a possibility. And at the top of your notes, what makes anything possible? What makes anything possible? If you're new here, there's a set of notes in your program. And there's also, if you have the Bible app, you can pull out your Bible app, your phone. You can go to live events. And you can pull up, uh, all of the notes are there, all the references, everything. You need to turn to John, the 17th chapter, because I, I don't have all of the verses there, but I, I just wanted to get you primed and ready to go. What makes anything possible? What makes love possible? How, do, how would you answer that? What makes success possible? Or winning or losing possible? What makes any of it possible? And we could have a discussion on that. Let me ask you a question, since we're in church, what makes prayer possible? What makes prayer possible? What makes it the possibility that God would hear us and say yes or no or wait? I mean, I, I suppose if, if you think about it, and the truth is, is he answers every prayer, not necessarily always the way that we would like, but he answers our prayer. He hears our prayer. When Jesus prayed, did every one of his prayer to the Father, did every one of them get answered? How was it in the garden? You know, Father, if you could take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His first request did not get answered. And we're in John, the 17th chapter. Jesus' prayer. We're going to start in verse 15. Jesus' prayer. But in all of his prayer, he, he continued to use the word. It's, it's, it's the first Sunday in May, so we're going to take a look at the word May. Look in your notes there with me, would you? May is the word for possibility. A, a couple different definitions. A certain measure of likelihood, and it can be used to express a desire or a fervent wish. We use it in prayer, not as a wish, but as a prayer, a fervent prayer. Like it may rain this afternoon. I hope not, but it may rain this afternoon. But the word may is not the word for certainty. And so when you see the word today used as may, it's a possibility. What are the possibilities? Well, the Father would have to do what he said he would do, and we know that's always going to happen. Jesus, praying for you and I, knows the possibility, but then the outcome of the may depends on my response, your response. Take a look in your notes. Number one, fill it in. The possibility exists for Christians to be sanctified. To be sanctified. Now, you know this and I know this. There's all kinds of people. They have a spiritual life. They started with Jesus Christ. They don't know something greater exists. They don't know that sanctification exists, that it's something greater than just being saved. I, I ate last night at a Mexican restaurant, much to my dismay. It was my daughter's birthday and my son-in-law's birthday. We went to El Patron's. How many of you know where El Patron's in Chardon is? You know? <laughs> I never knew it existed. If somebody said, meet me at El Patron's, I said, I don't know where it's at. I'd have to look it up. There are many people who do not know sanctification is another work beyond just being saved. 
Let's look at the words of Jesus in verse 15, John 17. He's praying to the Father, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right? There's the world that we're in, we've got to live in. There's the evil one is against us. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Then he says, his prayer is, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Let's just pause there right now, folks. The word of God is like a scrubbing agent. It has the ability to scrub clean my mouth, my actions, my thoughts. The question is, is do I allow it to scrub? Do I allow it? In every situation that you find yourself in and growing and being challenged, when you respond positive to the word of God, it makes you from un- takes you from unrighteous to righteous or whatever it might be. It is a scrubbing agent. It, it, it is the truth, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too, what's the word? May be truly sanctified. What does the word sanctified mean? It's several different things. It's the word for sold out, set apart, hagias. It's the word for holiness. We, we believe in holiness, everybody. We believe there's something that has to do with something more than just being saved. We believe the scripture teaches we can live holy. That's what this word means. Now, if you were God, would you answer the prayers and give your power to people who were just kind of playing the game would you give your power to somebody like that would you give your god's power should god give his power to you would he should he no probably not he's looking for people that are sold out on base 100 percent. the word sanctified here means that there's a possibility for all christians to live biblically to live by what the scripture says so let me ask you a question when you have heard a teaching and you've heard it from the scriptures. Maybe you read it yourself, or maybe you heard it on a Sunday morning, whatever it might have been. What is it that you said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that? No, I'm not, not, not going to do that, not ready to do that. I'll do this, that, and the other. I, I get that a lot. I get that a lot from a lot of different people. They've decided what they're going to listen to and what they're not going to listen to. Let me let you know this. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You can be sanctified. Normally, it happens, you know, a little bit after you give your life to Christ. Let me tell you a little bit of a story of the life of a guy who gave his life to Jesus 14 years ago. 14 months ago, sorry. 14 months ago, gave his life to Christ. He, he, he started asking me all kinds of biblical questions. He wanted to know what to do in any and every situation. What do I do? Here do I do? What does the Bible say? How should I do it? What should I? And before you know it, I'm getting stories from uh, other parents that are at his son's football game that they're praying before the game. Why aren't mature Christians making that happen? They're praying, and it's going all over. And of course, he's like 6'2 or 3, weighs 300 pounds. Who's going to say no to him? But he don't know. He's as gentle as can be. And as he's walked with Christ, his story is one of, 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 of difficulty. And, so, and, and, and I really won't say what it's about, but he's had a difficult time. And Jesus Christ came into his life, and every time he tells his story, he makes sure everybody knows his full story. They got to know what Jesus did. They got to know what his church is doing for him, what, how God has worked in and among his difficulty. He has had more door. He's always calling me. Hey, guess where I'm going to share my story now? 
Guess where I'm going? He has had more doors open than an elevator operator. The guy has so many doors open. 14 months, he's always telling me, something new's coming up. Spoken in a jail. Spoken outside of jail. Folks, if any of you are from the Chardon area, look at the Chardon maple leaf. His, I might as well say, Tony Semple. His name's right there. He said, Evan, can I take a picture with you? So I, put, I said, no, so it's like, it's like Pee Wee and the Giant. You know, he's like a huge, huge man. Telling his story. He calls me this past week. Evan, I, I need your help. Oh, Lord, I need help. He's always got something wonderful going on. He says, my daughter's in, bio, uh, in the study uh, uh, hall, and she really doesn't want to be in there. She'd like to start a Bible study. Could she do something like that? And uh, how would I get permission? By the way, he had already called the principal. He called the principal. He bent the principal's ear for 10 minutes telling him the story of how Christ and the church had changed his family's life. Now you think by about them, a public school teacher would have said, uh-uh. But uh-uh. She not only is now going to be teaching a Bible study, he has plans for it to spread all throughout the school system. He just don't know any better. Now you tell me, is that boy sanctified or not? Where are we at? That's the challenge to you and me. The telltale sign of a sanctified Christian many times is they're getting, they begin to understand Satan's game. You know, it's those three Satanist uh, 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 words, uh, feelings, attitudes, emotions. The number one one is offendedness, then pettiness, then selfishness. Anybody here ever read the book, The Bait of Satan? We had a study here, The Bait of Satan. Offendedness, offend somebody in the church. Let's talk about pettiness. Let's talk about selfishness. Folks, I'm a fisherman. I understand what it means to get the bait set up, to try to trick a fish into thinking this steel spoon that I have with these really sharp hooks on it is food. Satan knows us. You and I need to know him. When you start to be offended, when you start to pick on pettiness, when you start to look at selfishness, understand this. Those are the works. And the, see, sanctified Christians, they know that. They know that Jesus sanctified himself, according to 19, so that they could be sanctified, so he didn't have to have everything he needed or wanted. He gave it all up. He gave his rights up. And sanctified people know, oh, well, better the church moves forward than I worry about this. Somebody once told me this. I really can't remember who told me it, but I, I think about it a lot. It says the church that has a lot of people that are sanctified in the church has few problems. But the church who has very few people sanctified has lots of problems. That makes total sense. Why would that be? Because sanctified people are dead. They understand what it means to die to self. How do you offend somebody if they're dead? And Jesus said, you got to die to that self. Then when you do that, you will... In your sanctification, do more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine. This man that I'm talking about, he has so much stuff going on, it's not even funny. Sanctified Christians, they don't take the bait. So as I read the scriptures, it's possible for every believer to be sanctified because Jesus sanctified himself and prayed for it so that it would happen in your life. Number two, the possibility exists for Christians to participate in a divine relationship. A divine relationship. Folks, some of you know that uh, 
I am married to a Slovenian lady whose family, there's one Slovenian here, uh, whose family basically escaped during the war. I think it was during the war. They escaped, and in case you don't know it, the good part of the Slovenian nation from Europe lifted up and transplanted themselves to Cleveland. The second year I think we were married, we were invited to 13 weddings. I went to every one of them. Because you go to my wedding, I go to your weddings, all the Slovenians, they go to each other's weddings. There was 429 people at my wedding. Nine from my family, 420 from Maria's. <laughs> the divine pulling together of an invitation. There's an invitation in the scriptures for you and for me. Listen to the words of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those, this is for you, this is for me, who will, that's not the word may, who will believe in me through their message. And throughout the centuries and throughout the decades, there's been people that have believed the message and have come to know Christ. Here I stand because of it, verse 21. That all of them, here's the word, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. How's that for a divine relationship? That Jesus said, you are in me, I'm in you. Let's get it so that all of them are in us also. That they become part of the divine relationship, part of the Trinity. Do you live every day just in the physical realm? Are you motivated and moved by work or worry or the kids or the job? Do you only exist in a relationship of what's going on in the world? Are you just existing in the physical? The divine relationship that's found in the Trinity can be made possible by the third person of the Trinity. The Father did his job. Jesus did his job. The Holy Spirit is sent so we could be connected and put and invited into that divine relationship. Use this truth to examine your spiritual life. Jesus and the Father are one. He wants us to be one with him. Jesus not only wants us to be sanctified, but he wants all believers to share in this divine relationship. Jesus is praying for his church to get along. He is praying for us to have the relationship that the Father has, that the Trinity has. And he's given us the third person of the Trinity to make it possible. You have been invited I have been invited into a divine relationship. Division, when it's seen in the church, basically shows that we're not participating in this divine relationship. And I know that there'll be difficulties, and I know that there'll be struggles, but we are committed to working them through. Sanctified Christians, they're a lot less problematic because their number one concern is, what does Jesus want, and what is best for the church? You find somebody that they're willing to say, what's best for the church? Let's do that rather than what's best for me. You found somebody who is sanctified through and through. Have you ever heard the phrase, I married up? You know, somebody maybe doesn't have a lot of money. They married into, you know, royalty, whatever those people's names are. Somebody on a social level, you know, they said, you know, socially I, I kind of married up into the hoity-toities. I don't know. I was taking some classes at uh, Ashland Seminary, and I had developed a friendship with a pastor from Canada. By the way, he said, don't ever let social medicine come to America. It stinks. He told me that a decade ago. 
I, I digress. And, and he looked at, he, I showed him a picture of my family. Here's a picture of my family. He looked, he says, man, your wife is gorgeous. I said, I know, I married up. <laughs> I married up, no doubt about it. And everything she brings to the table is all mine. And everything that the Father and Jesus bring to the table is yours in a divine relationship. Jesus prayed for us to participate in a divine relationship like his father's. We can make it a certainty. Marry up. Get in that relationship so that he lifts you spiritually. The possibility exists for Christians, number three, to draw pre-Christians to Christ. What does the word or the phrase, the the three letters pre mean, right? I had surgery done on my shoulder. They had pre-screening, something that's done before the surgery. You order something on Amazon, you have to prepay before it comes to the door. It's something there ahead of time. And the reason I use this phrase pre-Christians, it's not original with me. I just love the fact that the faith that it carries, it lets our people know, we believe God's going to do something. Uh, Pre-Christians, in my perspective, is a pre-Christian presumes that God is going to bring those who he wants, who has been preparing. He's been preparing in the hearts and the minds of people. Is our church ready? Is our church only thinking about ourselves? Are we ready for others to come inside of our doors to draw pre-Christians to Christ? Verse 21b, I think it's wrong in your notes. It's 21b. He uses the word Jesus says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You get it? This picture of these Christians getting along, they're in this divine relationship. They're sanctified. They're not thinking about themselves, and they're like, what's up with these people? If a pre-Christian were to walk into our doors and visit us, most likely it's going to be from an outreach program, or it's going to be on a Sunday morning or some other program that we have. Most likely that's going to be the way it is, so I want to let you know Sunday morning cannot be all about what we want. It can't be all about what makes us comfortable. It can't be all about what I like and what I like to do. It's got to be about something different. That's why we open with the song, Lean on Me. We do something different. It's like somebody stop and say, man, this is a little bit of a weird church. In Luke, the 15th chapter, these are my words, Jesus goes a little bit on a rampage. He starts out by telling, he, starts, he tells three parables. And the first parable, parable is about somebody who's got 100 sheep. They got 100 sheep, and he says, you know, you got 100 sheep, you lose one, what do you do? Well, you leave the 99, you go after the other one. And when he finds it, he rejoices, and he says, yes, awesome, got him. You leave the 99, you go after the one. And then he compares it to what happens in heaven when one lost sinner comes to Christ. The angels rejoice. And then he moves on to the next parable. And the next parable is about a woman who has 10 coins. She loses a coin. Basically tells the same story. Then the next parable in Luke 15 is a parable about the prodigal son, the lost son. He moves from your animals to your money to your family. What triggered that? Verse 1 and 2 triggered all three of those parables. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around here Jesus. Can't you just imagine that? People, tax collect, that'd be politicians. Hammer check's not here, John Hammer. That'd be politicians and sinners are in your church. 
These people are coming and they're, they're hanging out and they're liking that. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, whoever they may be, they said, they're muttering. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus started a rampage to say, listen, how about your sheep? How about your money? How about your sons? Do you not care about them? These are the guys who are supposed to be telling everybody the good news. They're supposed to be telling everybody, bring them here. And all they're doing is, like, we don't want these people hanging out with us. Wouldn't that be a nice compliment? Hey, nice. You know what happens over there at Lifehouse Church? Man, they, they, got a, they got sinners there, and they got people there, and they, they do crazy music sometimes, and they show a video clip. One day, I'm going to show, I'm going to have somebody do rap music on stage. Yes. Because you can't always have what's comfortable and it's going to reach somebody sometime, I guarantee you. we got to do something that's outside of everything that we want. I don't care if it's what Pastor Dale wants or not. <laughs> Possibility exists. Folks, we, uh, we had uh, well, the first church that I started. We did every goofy, crazy thing you can imagine to build that church to get people in that church. The church up the road put it on their front sign, you know, little letters in there. No baloney here, just the gospel. That was a shot at us. No, we had all kinds of baloney. We made baloney sandwiches. We had baloney and cheese. And we were reaching people for Christ. It's almost like the religious people, they don't get it sometimes. I, uh, we did a song one time, We Can Work It Out. Do you know who, who wrote that song? The Beatles. We can work it out. We did a message on Christians getting along and working out their differences. And we did the song, Who Would You Guess a Pre-Christian That Was Drawn Into? How many of you know here know uh, Tom Simichek? Tom Simichek runs our, 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 our music, yes. He rented and bought your home. That's right, that's how we connected it, right? He walks in, hears that. He is a Beatle fanatic. He's backslidden. He is a Beatle fanatic. He, lo- he goes to see Beatle this, Beatle that. You ask him any question. He's doing the sound now. He gets saved. He walks in and says, what in the world? i got to come to a church like this, and we can't get rid of him. <laughs> the possibility exists, you know, that uh, we are here to draw pre-Christians to Christ. It's possible for Christ to use us to draw pre-Christians of Christ. Let's make it a certainty, everybody. Number four, the possibility exists for Christians to display the love of God. Love is not tested in good times. What good is it if you love only those who love you back? Everybody does that. If you see an elderly couple sitting on a park bench holding hands, eating ice cream, and you get up and you talk to them, how did you do it? If they're honest with you, they'll say, you know, there were some pretty tough times for us to get to where we are. And most marriages that are doing really well, including my own, could tell you the exact same thing. There were some tough times. Love is not seen when it's easy. It is seen in the day. You got a problem today? Awesome. Awesome opportunity to show the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love is on display when things are not going great. Look at verse 22 in your notes. Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me. That's, I don't have time to stop it. I mean, you, 
the glory that was given to him, he's given to us. And look at the word, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, to perfect unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Folks, unity in the church, unity in the church is a display of God's love. We get along, we don't pick on the pettiness, we don't worry about those. Unity among Christians has three things that you need to know. Number one, there's the value of unity, the necessity of unity, and the power of unity. The value of unity is when we're all getting along, when we worry about the pettiness, there is this spiritual atmosphere in this church that is there when you can't fake it. There's a spirit of hospitality. I talk to many people. A lot of times they say, I go to church. Nobody said hi to me. I talked to somebody two weeks ago. When you come into this church, we think about others. We get along. We make sure that we understand the, the value of unity. It permeates the air in a church. Number two is the necessity of unity. Without, the necess- without unity, we nitpick at all of the other little differences that we have, the petty little things and begin to take the bait of Satan. The power of unity comes because we can accomplish godly things together that we could never accomplish separate. We could do a lot of man-made things. I really love the fact, boy, the outreach that we had for the Easter outreach for all of you, man, it just brought this church together wonderfully, man. Just so wonderful. When you do something together, the value, the necessity, the power of unity, folks, we are on display We are on display in front of the world. When Christians get along despite their differences, Satan doesn't like it. God rewards it, and it affects the world. That's what Jesus is praying for. Every parent here knows you reward unity. Your kids are getting along. Uh, I need some help with my math. The brother's helping the sister back and forth, whatever. They're helping each other, getting along. You're like, wow, you guys, that's awesome. Let's go to Dairy Queen. Let me reward you. And your kid's are sitting in the back seat. Mom, he touched me. Oh, he touched me first. You locked those kids in the basement. <laughs> you reward. And the Father wants to reward unity. When I don't get my way and you get your way, it's okay. Because there's a reward waiting for us. It's what he's looking for his kids to do. The possibility exists for a Lifehouse Church to display God's love through unity. Let's make it a certainty. And then number five. The possibility exists for Christians to live in the love of the Father. Not just display it, but to live in the love of the Father. Every day when you get up, when you move, when you go, whatever, what permeates your being? What, what permeates your heart, your soul? Is it everything else in life? Is it all the physical? I get it, that's a part of it. What permeates you? What is in your mind, your spirit? Where do you live? For us, it's supposed to be verse 26. Just go to 26. Jesus praying, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. May be in them. And that I myself may be in them. This is the promise that Jesus had made. If you continue to read on, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the counselor. 
the third person of the Trinity. I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the one who will come alongside. He will always make my word known to you. He will remind you of what I have taught you. This is the spirit living inside of us. This is how we're supposed to live. That lives in us, and therefore the love of the Father lives in us. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gave us the love of the Father, and if we don't sense him, it's very likely we've quenched him. The Bible tells us, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. When it's not easy, you're going to need Jesus. Romans 5, 5, the love of the Father has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Claim it. When you can't do it yourself, thank the Lord, you're going to need him. We are constantly admonished to do everything out of love. It's possible to live our lives out of the love of the Father because Jesus prayed for it. All of his prayer requests were for you and for me. Let's make it a certainty. So I have in your notes there's so many possibilities, right? So many possibilities because the greatest resource we have is people. And when you have all kinds of different people, you have all kinds of different possibilities and probabilities. In any church, there's probably at least these three different kinds I'd like to talk to you very quickly about. Number one, you have people that are uh, what I put as homers. They've been at the church forever, maybe from the start, maybe not from the start, but this is their church, and they got to be careful not to sing, we will not be moved. They got to be careful that as God brings people, lost people, other people, they got to be careful, we got to be careful, because God has said he will sprinkle into his church gifts. And so our job, our connection ministry job, is to find out who you are, what you are, how God made you. That's why it's important to us. The second type of person that comes to a church is transplants. Both the churches I pastor have transplants, people that have come from other churches. And the question is, is they need to learn, they need to observe, but the most important thing is when you share your gifts. Because like I said, it's our job to find out who you are. And who you are is going to affect this church. It's not our decision. It's God's decision. He's brought you here. The transplants, call it whatever it on. And maybe not a heart transplant, but your heart's been transplanted here. Share your gifts with us because the possibilities with us together is endless. Then the third type of person is somebody who comes. They're invited. They're our guest. Maybe they're seeking spiritual things. Maybe they come because they were guilted into it. You're the special ones. According to the words of Jesus Christ, you're the one that he'd go after. You are truly the special ones that are here today. You're the ones we have to have our eyes open. You're the ones who will meet your needs. Let's give Satan the black guy. Let's, let's be united in love and love one another, and let's not take the bait. The asterisk in your notes, the last thing I'd like to share with you today, I'd like to wrap things around. Turn the word may into will. Personally, turn the word it may be God's will for you. It may be his will to sanctify you into, yes, Lord, you will. Matter of fact, here's my suggestion to you. I'm going to speak heresy. Don't read your Bible this week. Take the five principles and the Gospel of John, well, I guess you need your Bible, and the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, and meditate on it all week long, sensing that it's not your grandma praying for you. It's Jesus praying for you. And the only thing from turning it from may to certainty is you we're going to close with the song i surrender all 
That's where the sanctified person lives. I surrender all. Turn the word may into will. Haven't you ever known somebody that they were tremendous, they had such potential, and somehow or another they just fluttered it away? Have you ever known somebody talented, sports or whatever else it might be, and they just kind of just fluttered it away? They never reached their potential. That happens to Christians all the time. Never reaching the potential of what Jesus prayed for. So as we open the altar, go ahead and start whenever you want. When, as we open the altar this morning, I want to just give you, maybe you're sanctified, walking with Christ, you just say, yeah, I just want to re-up it. You are welcome. Maybe you've never experienced, you got saved, you, you don't know much more than that. You may even be lukewarm. That's a dangerous place to be. You, you come and make a commitment to take these five principles and all of John 17 and let it be personal. Jesus is praying. He wants his prayer answered in you. You come share at the altar. You meet him at the altar this morning. Somebody told me that Thomas Edison had 10,000 failures before he created the incandescent light bulb. I don't know if that's true or not, but he said he basically he found 10,000 ways that it doesn't work. He was still looking for the one that does. And so I know you may be here today, and maybe for you it's just like, you know, I've tried this Christian thing, and you're frustrated, and it don't work. It don't work if you're not sold out. It just doesn't. It leads to frustration. Ask me how I know. The altar is open for you. Come surrender all. Let him do a work in you this morning he's been wanting to do and praying for. Would you please join together as we pray? Father God, I pray for each person who has come, each individual. I pray, God, that you would truly do that for them which they cannot do for themselves after they have done for themselves what you've required. And Father, as they have symbolically crawled up on the old altar of surrender and sacrifice, now, Lord, sanctify them wholly. Cleanse them from carnality, the desire to be first, the desire to do what they want. Cleanse them. Empower them, Lord, to live in victory over sin. Empower them to walk in the beauty of holiness. Make them holy by your power. Now, Father God, for them and for many that are in this congregation, including me, Lord, we want to do your will we say it, we try to do it, but sometimes, Father, we must confess, I confess, we struggle to know just exactly what you want us to do. Now, Father, I don't try to ask you to help us in those instances in which it's a clear-cut choice between sin and righteousness, between holiness and selfishness, but I pray, Lord, for those forks in the road that someone faces, even this congregation today. And they don't know what to do, but they come to you, Lord, and say, Father, I'm your child. I'm yours by salvation. I've asked you to sanctify me, and I want to walk in the beauty of holiness. I would pray right now, Father, would you speak and give clarity to those who are concerned about which way you want them to go?
Not that one is sin and one is righteousness, but just, Lord, they just have a difficulty. I sense, Lord, you need and you want to and they need to sense from you that clear, clear, undeniable direction that comes because we have surrendered all, we are yours, and we really want to do your perfect will. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if that's you this morning, would you say it amen and we finish praying.